0: Hey yo, we about to tear it up Hey eh eh yeah Break for break break for break it down. This right here is how we do it Break it down It's the Breaking Atoms podcast where we break things down to the very last compound. My name is still my name and my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the actual factual. When Sumit and I first started this podcast, we had a a bucket list of people that we wanted to get on the show. And this week's guest is high on the list because Sumit and I are massive fans of his music. I believe that this man is a living case study in longevity. He's pinned Father Time's shoulders to the canvas, made whackness tap out, and his flow stays submerged in the fountain of youth. After setting off the symphony, he told us to take a look around the slaughterhouse where we would see him sitting on chrome. He then reminded us of the value of the culture on disposable arts after a long hot summer of classic songs. He plays well with others and has multiple group projects with EMC and Edo and he was incorporated way before Irv Gotti & Co. You can trace his influence in the work of Eminem and Kendrick Lamar, and in my opinion, he is the master, pun intended, of the concept album. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, People with hard copies of De La Soul's albums and people without hard copies of De La Soul's albums. This is Master Ace finally on the Breaking Atoms podcast. Check it out.
1: What's going on, man? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I play well, I play well with others, huh?
0: Yeah, you do. I mean, look, EMC, A and E, um, Master Ace Incorporated, Marco Polo. You, you share the love.
1: Yeah, I just I like the term. It's funny.
0: <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. First of all, um, it's been a it's been an interesting eighteen months. How you doing health wise? How's the how's the trend set bike group?
1: Yeah, it's great. It's been really you know, it's been my <clears throat> it's been my um my saving grace in terms of being active. I'm, I was so used to my routine, which was in the gym three to four days a week. Um, you know, taking these in, in, intense hit hit classes and sweating and um. I was on a, I was on a, a, I was on a schedule, you know, and then when this pandemic hit and the gym closed, I was struggling to try to figure out, I mean, I did some home workouts and stuff like that, but I wasn't getting the same level of, of, uh, of a workout that I, that I was used to. Um, and so at some point, I just had to figure out something else to do to try to be active and bike riding became that, became that outlet.
0: We've, we've had to say rest in peace to a few people. And most yeah. recently, we said goodbye to to Biz Markie, Someone who you've known since the '80s, you've collaborated with. If if an alien came from from space, and came to you and said, "Who was Bismarky?" In your opinion, how would you eulogize him?
1: Um, I would tell him that he was an incredibly creative individual um, who had <coughs> the ability to be himself without apology um he always was his true authentic self around whoever he was around and and that was somebody who liked to joke like to crack jokes make people laugh um but people don't give him enough credit for his creativity He has so much some of the records that he did nobody would ever dare to do you know a song like picking boogers nobody would ever think to do such a song but He had the courage to do that. He wasn't caught up in the bravado um, that hip hop, you know, usually flexed. Um, It was just about having a good time for him. He loved the fact that nobody else was like him. He loved the fact that he was unique in that way and um, also a a consummate uh, performer. If you've ever seen him in his younger years, you know, before he gained gained weight when he used to perform in the, in the, you mentioned the late eighties, the late eighties, early nineties, Viz was probably one of the best performers that you could see at that time. Um, most, most artists didn't want to follow him because he had so much fun with the crowd and the crowd had so much fun with him. So, um, you know, not, not enough people talk about his, his, his ability to perform. So, that that's who he was, and he was a Juice Crew brother uh, of mine who um who was always gracious to me and always showed love, and um we're gonna miss him for sure.
0: No, for sure, and and you know I'd like to offer my condolences um to the family and friends of Bismarky. Sticking with the Juice Crew, I, I read in an interview that just before the symphony came out, you were toying with the idea of changing your name, and then it came up on the screen, Master Ace M A S T E R. So yeah, yeah you're I, stuck with it.
1: Yeah, I didn't have. I wanted to do something different name wise, but I didn't have I tr- I didn't have any other alternatives at the time. So, it's not like oh, I, I want to change my name to this. It was just an. It was just a thought. Like man, that master thing is really, is kind of old school, you know, and you know that name came from an era when everybody was grandmaster this master that grandmaster this. And we were, we were, I, I could feel that we were moving into a new era um, um, in terms of the types of names the artists were having. And so I said to myself, like, man, it would be cool if I had a different name, if I could do something different with it. But once that video dropped and I, and I didn't have an alternative name, I was stuck with that name. And that's what, that's what it was.
0: Okay, but I think, you know, it's still it's still to me, it still sounds fresh in 2021. It's you because you are, in my opinion, and we'll get into it. You are the master of the concept album.
1: I I appreciate it, man. I I had to drop that ER. I had to drop the ER off the master because it was just too, it just looked too old school for me.
0: I know you're working on a musical and correct me if I'm wrong. You've spent much of the pandemic working and writing this musical. What are the differences in terms of writing a musical compared to a concept album? Are there any?
1: Huge differences. Huge. Um, because when I'm writing my music, there's really no rules. Um, if I write a song for my album, I can really go anywhere I want with the lyrics. But in a musical, the songs have to be an extension of the story that you're telling. So you can't have lines in there that are just throwaway lines. Every line has to... Push the story forward, and that's really challenging for somebody who's used to kind of just you know going a little bit more train of thought or just kind of going into a zone of of just staying on the topic. Like like you know whatever that topic is, I'm good at. If you give me the topic, the song is going to be about this. I can give you you know two verses, twenty four bars each about that topic. But musical, it doesn't work that way. The musical, you you make it clear at the beginning what the topic is and then the rest of the song has to be pushing the action forward and, and, and that's been the that's been challenge.
0: Have you ever had a concept in mind and thinking, okay, um, this would make a great album and you may have abandoned it and says, nah, or you know, you've know, you changed route. Are there any kind of concept albums on the cutting room floor that you'd be willing to share with us today?
1: Yeah, there was one. There was one. I had, a, I had, a, I had a con- an, an album concept The album was going to be called uh, The Rules of Engagement, and it was going to be um, a story about a friend who had just recently gotten engaged to a a girl who wasn't right for him. And the whole story was going to be um, him going through this. There there was a movie, uh, man, in the early 2000s called Saving Silverman. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I never it was, saw it, but I heard of it. It was a group of it, it was a couple, of, couple of friends, and their buddy was getting engaged. And, and, the, and the buddies hated the girl. The girl was like super, you know, aggressive and she was in charge. And um they were trying to do everything they could to stop him from getting married to this girl. And so it was it was kind of like loosely based on on that movie concept. Um, but it was just gonna be, you know. Like the album, the album was going to start with my friend telling me you know, he just got engaged, and me explaining how this was a bad idea to the audience, and then the, the, But I never it never materialized, but it definitely was always in the back of my
0: mind. Okay, all right, and um, I heard another rumor actually. It was really interesting to me. Um, Crooklyn was going to be a full length album in a group at one point. There was there was discussions about it.
1: Yeah, Spike, Spike Lee wanted to do it uh, with 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 me, Special Ed, and Buckshot, and he um he had a. Uh, he had an album deal or some sort of a distribution deal with MCA Records. And they were gonna they were gonna do it. They were gonna they were gonna push forward and, and put it out and promote it. Um and then everything kind of that whole idea went by the wayside um when Buckshot wasn't available to do Crookland Two Cause we were supposed to, the three of us were supposed to also do Crookland Two, And so um once once it was clear that Buckshot wasn't going to be on Crooklyn too, you know, me and Special Ed were trying to find another rapper to be on the song, and then at that point Spike Lee was like, "Nah, let's just let's just do three new artists, three three new cats," and that was the end of the whole album project, right, right then and there.
0: Oh man, it's one of those. I think it's going to go down as a one of the biggest what ifs in hip hop history. I think because that was yeah. crazy, especially then, because the timing for you with Crooklyn. Um, I know that there were some, some whispers and maybe some criticism about your sound at that yeah. particular time and the, reg- the regional sounds you were playing with. Yeah. Um, talk about the timing of Crooklyn and, and what that did in terms of maybe, you know, getting people back on your side.
1: It was, it was, it was the timing was actually perfect for me because I had, my, my, my song Born a Roll was really, really blowing up in, in other markets, West Coast, Midwest, Southwest. Um, it was getting a lot of radio play Every place but New York And when you saw the video it was, it was clear that the video was shot in Los Angeles The images, the cars, the women You could tell that it was definitely not New York And so, you know th- This was a time in hip-hop where you know This whole East-West um, rivalry was really, really brewing You know, quite, quite, quite feverishly And I... Found myself trying to, trying to sort of walk the tightrope between east and west, and, and, and trying to bridge the gap with with what I was trying to do, but it just was not working. And so, to ask to be on a song, you know, about the city that I was from, was just the perfect timing because it got a, got me a chance to remind people where I was from. Because many people, to be honest, many people on the west coast, didn't, when they heard Born to Roll, they had never heard of me before that, and so they assumed the sound. And the video and, and the way I was dressed, they assumed I was from LA. And so uh, a lot of that was confusing to people. So for me to be on Crooklyn was a great way to remind people of my roots, where I was from, uh, where, I, where, I, where I made my start. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Q-Tip made the call and, and asked me to be one of the artists.
0: No, no doubt, no doubt. Um, let's, let's stick with sitting on Chrome though. Um, one of my favorite duos is the Cellar Dwellers. Um. I hate to be one of those people that, you know, people, people don't talk about them enough, but I feel they're very underrated in, in many ways. How did you hook up with the Cellar Dwellers in the first place? Because I first heard them on For The Mind, and I was like, yo, these guys are dope.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, were friends with, they were friends with Digger. He's the one who brought them around the studio and stuff, and, you know, I heard them rap, and I thought like, these guys are dope. They're different. You know, they were, I'd heard them on probably Stretching Barbido or something like that, but, um, I think he was the first person that brought them around into the studio. And so I saw the talent, I saw, um, and they had young energy, you know, I'd been in the game a while and they felt, they felt like the new guard. They felt like the, the, the next movement of, of, of artists. They were kind of more cut from the, you know, maybe the, you know, Wu-Tang, Mob Deep, like that next generation of artists, they were cut from that cloth. So I felt like this was a good chance for me to put some new blood that that was up and coming on my project, and so yeah, I I, I asked them to be on for, for the mind, and they, and they and they did their thing
0: with it. I was watching your 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 um disposable arts documentary. Disposable arts yeah. is one of my favorites. Like man, like that album. Phew, I, we'll Mine get into too. it. Oh, Mine it's, it's crazy. One thing that was really interesting to me though, because I'm a liner notes guy and you talk about um 7888 the studio and you know in terms of studios like i know and i know chunking powerplay but that was new for me can yeah. you describe the vibe of that studio and what made it special and in, in in terms of this being the place you wanted to record the album well 7888
1: a lot of people don't know but it was a studio before it was 7888 and in that studio was where um um Herbie Lovebug did a lot of his recording he 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 recorded a lot of Kid and play stuff, salt and pepper, um Kwame, um, a few other people as well. but when I first came there it was because they were working on a compilation, and they were trying to get different artists to come in and uh, record songs in and they were bartering studio time, so it was like. Do a song for the album and we'll give you 10 hours of studio time. So I was like, oh, this is a cool deal, you know, no cash, but I can work on records. And so I went there and did the barter system with them. And that's how the song with me and Buckshot called Brooklyn Blocks and the B side was a song called Last Breath. Those songs were made in that barter, barter, bartering of, of studio time for my feature on, on their because on their, they had a compilation called Game Over volume yeah, got one got and, then and, then yeah. and then volume two. Um, so that's what they were doing. And when I came there, there was three different, there was th- three different control rooms, but never once did I, did I come there and not see notable artists either hanging in the lobby, smoking or recording in, in different rooms. There was always a who's who of artists coming through there. Um, the, 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 the list is endless of the amount of people that have come there and recorded there. And um, I just thought it was a cool vibe. Um, I, I, Filthy Rich was the... Him and DJ Rob were the partners in the company, and um, they were the ones who were putting this album out. And, and, and so I got to know them. They got to know me. Um, and they were the ones who really said, yo, you know, we think you got another album in you. And I, I was already kind of like done. I, in my mind, I was done. It was, you know... I didn't think that there was any interest in me doing another record, but they were the ones who... Put the idea. They planted the seed in my head. I still, I, I was dismissive, like, nah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm not doing another record. Um, but they they planted that seed, and then that same year, I went on tour in Europe, um, a bunch of dates in the UK and a few in Germany, and um, it was that tour in 2000. That, that was 2000. It was that tour that kind of gave me that that newfound energy to uh, when I got back from that tour. I said, yo. I think I do want to do another record. Yeah, yeah, I've been talking about it. I think I'm ready to do it. And, and, and I want to go out on my own terms. And, and the result of that was Disposable to
0: Which was a... Cl- no, is a classic album. That was actually the, um, the first Master Ace album I bought with my own money. Okay. You know, this was like... Um, I, have a, I have a second act in terms of hip-hop. So when I got my first computer, like in 2003... I mm-hmm. got into like Little Brother and all that stuff. Word. Um, fell down this rabbit hole. Then I just found I found oh disposable arts. Master Ace is still doing bit. So um you know it's my it's my favorite album by you, and I, I definitely I hold it in high regard. Thank you. It's my favorite album of mine too. Dope, dope. I know it came out October two thousand and one and we're coming up to the twentieth anniversary. Crazy, right? Of the of the nine and the 9/11 attacks annual album. Um how did the the events of 9-11 impact the promotion of that particular album?
1: It impacted it greatly. Um, The first first wave of what was going to be the promotion of that album was in the form of a a tour, a European tour. Um, And we had planned this tour during the summer of 2001. All the dates were laid out. I think there was 20 24 dates in in 30 days or something like that. It was a very packed schedule. Um there were there were probably of those 24, probably eight, eight or ten might have been in the UK. Um and when the when the attacks on September happened, it threw everything in disarray because everybody was canceling their tours. Our flights were already purchased and bought were leaving on September 22nd, so 11 days after the planes hit the building was when our flights were scheduled to, to leave. We weren't even sure if there were going to be flights. Um, and the interesting thing is, we had just come home from um, another trip. I had just come home from another trip, and my my luggage was lost, and so. My luggage got lost. It was at Kennedy Airport. And then the attack happened on the 11th. And then I didn't get my bag. The, the, the lost luggage didn't get returned to me until probably the 18th or the 19th. Um, and um, I mean, there wasn't anything that was going to stop me from going on the next tour. But I, that's one of my, my bags that I travel with, my tour bag. So it was just a, uh, it was just a really uncertain time. You know, the tour was featuring Punching Words, as well as Strickland, DJ AV, DJ JF. And Wordsworth's wife at the time, she was his girlfriend at the time. Um, She was pregnant with their first daughter. And when we left, she was like, I want to say three months. No, she was more than that. She was like six months pregnant. Um, and he was really thinking about not going. And, you know it took a it took a pretty long phone conversation i don't even know if i really felt right convincing him to go on the tour just because i wasn't so certain myself i just knew that this was an opportunity for us i didn't know what the opportunity meant but i knew that if we didn't go on this tour that there was going to be no there was going to be no real promotion for this record so you know and we had promoted them being on the tour and they had they were part of my show you know they they had two songs on the album everything was already planned out the the way they were going to come out on stage perform with me and so it would have required me to really re- revamp my entire show it would have not been it wouldn't have been as dope of a tour i com- i eventually uh convinced wordsworth and he spoke to his, his girl at the time and he agreed to go on the tour and that tour was the catalyst to everything that's been happening for the last 20 years as far as me traveling to Europe and being on stage because every other artist at that time canceled their tours every other tour was canceled we were like pretty much the only U.S. act that came over at that time and all the shows were packed very well attended um people were just happy that in such a difficult time and everything going on in the world that that there was a a show to go to um and we wound up we wound up Really endearing ourselves to a huge audience of people over over in Europe, Germany, UK, um, Switzerland, um, Sweden, Netherlands. Um, we we endeared ourselves to a lot of uh, people, and they uh, those people are now in their thirties and 40s, no thirties for sure, probably some in the early forties that came to that tour back then, and they still remember those you know that
0: tour, and they talk about it to this day. I have to say though. You are probably one of the dopest live performers I've ever seen. If we're if we're talking about tours, A and E at the Jazz Cafe, you man smashed it. Like, and you did um, you did some of the slaughterhouse stuff. You even did Wishing. That's my favorite song with you and Edo. Yeah, I, yeah. I have to give you guys props. You guys are sick. Thank
1: you, man. Thank you. I, I um, I learn from the best. That's what I always say. You know, the, my two label mates, Big Daddy Kane and Bismarcky, were. were in those days were probably two of the best live acts that you could see. And because w- they were my label mates, I got to see them pretty often. And so I was a student, I was watching, I watched the crowd interaction. I watched the DJ switch the records. I watched the little, the little, the little, uh, nuance, you know, uh, things that, 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 that biz or Kane would say to the DJ, the stuff that the crowd would never even notice. He would you know, tell them something And then all of a sudden They would switch to this Or this, this record would come in So I paid attention to all that stuff And I learned how to perform From watching those Those two artists right there
0: Yeah it, it shows I know part of the impetus In terms of the disposable arts concept Stemmed from your time on Big Beat What happened over there And Do you think we'll ever get a chance To hear that album you produced for Big Beat The way you intended for it to, to be heard?
1: Nah, you'll never hear that album. Um, some of the songs got some some of the songs I, I released through uh, Shelf Life. It's a couple different, a um, couple different projects. Shelf Life was one of the projects, and then there was one called um, Lost Tapes. So a couple of the songs found their way out in the marketplace. But there's a few records that, to be honest with you, I wasn't really that proud of because they, you know, what happened at Big Beat was, um, bad boy happened um bad boy happened junior mafia happened um and when bad boy kind of took over the music game at that time every label was looking for those kinds of records you know that was their sound they were they were the ones that were kind of doing the r&b flips and turning them into rap joints party records club records club bangers or whatever that was what they were doing and The label wanted this, they wanted everybody to, all the labels wanted everybody to follow suit and make these kind of records. And it wasn't where my heart was or what I wanted to do creatively, but I understood that if I was going to keep this record deal, that I probably needed to at least make an attempt to give them some of what they were asking for. So I went in the studio and made some records that I don't think would have ever been made, you know, with the shakers and the little funky shakers and all that, that I probably would have never done. Um, Trying to make the label happy Um, And and, and I went as far as I could go creatively With giving them what they wanted And it still wasn't enough You know, they were like Well, let's get changing faces Or let's get, you know um, Let's get um, Brian McKnight to sing a hook You know, those Those were the kind of suggestions That were coming at me And I was like, man I'm not going to be able to We're not on the same page at all So let's just you know figure something else out it was actually them who decided to 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 shelf the album um after after i came back to them with new music and it wasn't it still wasn't what they were asking for it was their decision to to, to let me go and to shelve me and um yeah that 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 kind of created the bitterness that was probably 98 98 99 right in there and that that's where the that's where the the title disposable arts kind of comes from because they showed me that it was no big deal for them to just shelf. Shelf my record, shelf my music, all stuff I've been working on for two years To just shelve it and move on and sign somebody else
0: mm, mm. It's funny you mention um, Bad Boy happened I spoke to Grapp Lover a few months ago And we were talking about why the I&I album got shelved mm. And he said the same thing when he was over at Electra. They were like, we need you to do stuff like what Bad Boy and Puffy's doing And it just made me wonder, just like, you know how much music or good music we could have missed out on just because this person's doing this and doing it so well that you're expected to follow. You know, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. It's it's quite, it's quite interesting. Um, I know you did some work with a touch of jazz in the early 2000s. You found yourself in Philly. Any memories from that session and how did you end up over there?
1: Um, how did I end up over there? Um, D- D- DJ Av was my DJ at the time, or no? Actually, he, was, he wasn't even my DJ yet. He became my DJ in 2001. But he he was really good friends with Jazzy Jeff, and um, I heard that they were working on music. And I think Jeff invited me just to come out one 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 day, and just to kind of sit in on a session. I, I believe, actually, I believe they were working on Will Smith's album. And they asked me to come out to maybe work on, a, work on a, writing a couple of joints. And so I came out for a session and I saw what was going on. And I was like, this is dope. They had all these rooms going and there was producers in every room working on just working on stuff. Instruments and singers and, 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 and drum machines. And like you, every room you went in, somebody was in there working hard on something. And it, and it all sounded dope to me. And it just gave me a kind of a a, a renewed um, excitement about hip hop, because at at that point, I wasn't even really trying to do music. I was I was cool with just being a writer. Um, I was cool with just being a producer. I wasn't even going to do more records, but being in that that atmosphere and that environment that gave me that gave me a boost That, that made me feel like, wow, you can actually still kind of do your own thing and 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 it, and it be and it be dope and people want it and and being around those guys was was crew was crucial cuz you know um it helped me to help me to find my creative voice again
0: moving on um i know i said you play well with others earlier i got to say emc the show is i i keep coming back to that album ace i keep i keep finding and hearing new things and it just it just amazes me that you're able to take three people, different styles, and I, you know, I assume they've got different personalities, bring yeah. them into, into this world and, and make it work. Like, How do you go about writing a concept album for a group with all the different characters involved?
1: Well, it, it helps when the people involved are willing to kind of let you drive the car. You know, nobody was trying to fight me for the steering wheel and yo, I think we should do this instead. You know, that idea is dope, but let's try this. Um, they they trusted me, and and part of it probably was because they were on my two previous solo albums, you know, disposable and long hot summer, and they and and, and they saw how those turned out. So shout out to those guys for for, for trusting me to, to, to drive the car. And they they let me kind of create the narrative for what the the storyline was going to be on the album. And they just, they just trusted me That, that that's the bottom line. They didn't, nobody tried to, you know, overrule or bring it to, let's bring it to a vote. Like none of that stuff happened. They just trusted that, that I was going to deliver something dope and,
0: and they were just happy to be a part of it. I hear you. I hear you. Are we going to get a new EMC album with the original lineup?
1: The original four MCs? Yeah. Probably won't happen probably won't happen because the relationship is not really mended there Um, and um, you know with me I don't like to really go backwards Um, even if even if me and whoever whoever I'm not you know cordial with anymore even if things are smoothed out and it's all love again I'm still not trying to go back to being creative with the person anymore and that's why you know you won't see me working with you know the Lord Diggers and the Paula Perrys and people like that just because it's what under the bridge for me. I've moved on, wished them well, and that's that's what it is. I, I you know, I, I truly believe that from the very beginning, the very first EMC album, the show, that there was always kind of a little bit of a disconnect. Um, um, because Punch was always kind of the out, he was always the outlier li- in everything that we were trying to do. Um and he always found himself not quite a part of everything that we were doing, you know, from the very first video from the, what it stand for video, you, you, you wouldn't know it, but you know, the, the group, all the group shots when there's four of us, he's not actually in those shots. We, we got a, we got a rapper, um, Jay zone actually came and put on an EMC jacket and and turned his back. So we can at least have the image of four MCs, but, but punch wasn't even in town for the video. He was supposed to come into town. Crazy. Yeah, go back and look at it. You'll you'll see the 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 fourth person's back is turned the whole time. And that's Jay Zone. That's Jay Zone. Um <laughs> feeling feeling standing in because he was he was the right complexion, so it worked out. But yeah, that kind of stuff was was happening from the very beginning um of the project. And so that's how I kind of knew. That's 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 how that's how I, I, I kind of knew like something's not quite right. and and and, and it's wild because I look back at the cover like after when, when, when things went left with us and Punch was no longer in the group, I look back at the album cover. And if you look at the album cover, it's very interesting. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sign. The sign is, has an arrow and the arrow is pointing down to Punch. And right next to the arrow, there's a, there's a number three in a box. And I was like, yo, this was an omen from the very beginning. It, 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 I mean, of course, you're just looking at it and creating your own narrative. But to me, it was, it, it, I like, yeah this was an omen. Like, the arrow is pointing to him as the as the, as the outlier, and then there's a box with the number three, basically saying there should be three of us, not four of us. And, and that, that's just what I created in my. Go back and look at the cover; though, it's, it's pretty interesting.
0: No, I can see it in my head. I I, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know. But with all that said, you know, um, EMC really really special group to me. I remember when that album actually leaked. And I was like, oh, wow, like, you know, it's not just me looking forward to this. I, I think the show, I'm not going to say it's a classic. Um, I say it's a personal classic for me because I go back and I listen to it. Like yep. leak it Out, um, We All Right, you know. Th- you should have put Four Brothers on the album, though. Yeah, you're right. Um, it, it, listen, it was a
1: fun time. That was a fun time m- making, that, making that record. We had a great time making it. Um, the touring, the shows with the four of us was always so much energy. So much positive energy and running around on stage. Four of us is always a lot, of, a, a lot of fun and a, and a good time. It's good memories from that time. I don't have any any bad memories of of that time period of us touring together.
0: That's good. That's good. Marco Polo, a Brooklyn story. Um, it's been what three years? Wow, three years since the album came out. It yep. was interesting. You know, you 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 did a, a song with Premiere. And dropped it after the album came out. Was that recorded as part of the album sessions, or why did it come out after?
1: Because premiere worked too slow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the bottom line. I've heard that. It, I've heard that. It, it, it was supposed to be on the album,
1: but he was just moving so slow. I was like, Marco, we can't push this album back no more. Like, let's just put the album out and 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 use it as a bonus record. And and that's what that's what we had to do.
0: But you know, it, it, it was good to hear because I know. And you probably people have people have told you that we we wanted to hear Ace and Premier for years. Me too. Me
1: too. That was the that was the one guy that I felt like cause we had been friends way before um all these records, all these Gangstar records and all that. I knew Premier before before no well, I met him right around the time that they were recording No More Mr. Nice Guy. So it's a long time. That, yeah, that's when I met him. Uh, Guru introduced us and I actually wound up being co- even cooler with Premiere than I was with Guru We're hanging out with Premiere more um, but for, for and he did the scratches on my song Saturday Night Live and so it was just crazy that for as long as we had known each other I had never wrapped over of his beats and um, so I was just happy that we finally got to that point of being able to do it
0: yeah um, there's another producer I, I want to hear you work with and I know you you sent a, a, a subtle shot at him on Acknowledge and that's not
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nas I really, I, re-
0: I really think I'd love. To, I mean, the fan in me, I just want to hear Ace and Knots. See, let see if we can make that happen. Did we? Did I rap over a Knots joint? I was thinking, and I, I couldn't find any. I
1: feel like somebody featured me on something, and Knots did the beat. But don't quote me. I, I do a lot of features, so I, I, I know. I get, I get lost in the sauce sometimes. But something made me feel like I did a verse for somebody, and it, it ended up being that Knots did the beat, but. I can't think of what it is right now.
0: Yeah. I'll do some digging. I'll do some
1: digging. Yeah, so yeah,
0: when are we going to get the new MP Ma- uh, Master Ace album, Master Polo? When can we expect? That? I know you You said in previous interviews, you've done about two or three songs and you've picked about 20 beats. Please update us.
1: We're at the same spot. Um, I got a bunch of beats um, sitting there, great beats. I'm just, you know, 2020 kind of took all my energy um because of the way the, the year went and because of the just the pandemic, the election, politics, everything that was happening. It just it just wore me out and it sapped my creative energy to a certain extent. So I, I said, you know, I don't want to write an album in this, in this environment. I would rather write the album after things get to feel more positive. Cause I, I felt like the album was going to be super dark, super negative super political and 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 I didn't want to do a record like that, I just didn't want to um so i said I, I need I need to wait until you know some of this has passed, and I feel a bit a little bit more optimistic about the future before I start to write the record and so Marco understood that he was very patient with me, and he let me he let me kind of do it in my own time um and he continuously keeps sending me new beats so I'm definitely right around 20 or or, or more and it's just up to us to kind of pick the final, you know, ones that are going to make the album. But the music that I have right now is plenty, like it's enough. And, um, yeah, I've, I've written to, I've written to two, three and I'm just waiting because something usually happens with me where my body tells me, okay, it's time. And at four o'clock you, in the morning, in the middle of the night, that's when it happens sometimes, and I just get that inspiration. I go, now I know what I'm. Now I know where I want to go with this. Um, so I'm just kind of waiting for that that moment. But the beats are there. Mark was being really patient. I think us getting back on the road will, uh, which we're going back out together to Europe in uh, in October. I think that'll help push it forward because. Being around him and being around the touring life and back into the mix of what we used to do, that'll make my, bu- that'll make my mind feel more normal and back to a place of, okay, creativity again. Because uh, all my creative, creative energy has been going to this musical right now. But I think being out on the road will give me a good reset. Um, and on tour is where I get a chance to really listen to beats while I'm in the, while I'm in the room, in my hotel room by myself, you know, if I'm packing, let's say we got to leave at 11 o'clock and I got to pack all my stuff up. I'm in the room packing. I got the beat going. And that's when, the, and that's when all the rhymes start coming to me. I'm like, oh, I know what I want to say for this. Boom, boom, boom. Was, the song is going to
0: be about this. So I think it'll be a good reset. I'm looking forward to it. And to close, let's end it like disposable arts. I've got a question. 2021, 20 years since disposable arts. Do you still have no regrets? No major ones. Um... Definitely not about the rap career, but one of the regrets
1: probably I had is that when I, was getting, when I was getting all the airplay and notoriety in Los Angeles and other markets outside of New York, I didn't really embrace that notoriety. Um, I ran from it. I ran from it because I was like, yo, I'm from Brooklyn, man. I don't want people thinking I'm from LA. Um, and so... I kind of missed. I kind of missed the boat a little bit on what could have been a very uh, promising career as a producer, because all of those records that were getting all the airplay, Born to Roll, Sitting on Chrome, Inc. Rod, all I produced all those records, and sh- I certainly could have taken, you know, the fumes from the, su- the success of those records and produced for a lot of other people and really probably made a career as a producer in this game um um but i was just so intent on getting back getting back to new york and getting new york back on my side that's what i spent all my time worrying about and it never really panned out that way i should have just went with went you know focused on where the, where the, where my bread was buttered at that time and my bread was was buttered in, in la and on the west coast and on the southwest and the midwest and I could have done a lot more to make records with other people. Um, so I, I'll never know what that could have been like, because that could have been a whole different type of career.
0: I hear you. I hear you. Master Ace, just want to say thank you so much. And from, from me as a, a hip hop fan of, it's coming up to like 30 years. I wrote yeah. my first rhyme when I was nine. I'm 39 years old. You are wow. one of the people I look to in this culture. You are reliable. You're consistent. Anytime I see a Master Ace project, I can buy it with confidence knowing Thank that you. you're going to deliver some art and you are a, a resident in my top 10 MCs. Thank you, man. That means, that means a lot, man. You've been there since 01 and you, you've you remained there. And I've got a, a, a something on the wish list. If I had the money and the access, my dream is to do a concept album executive produced by yourself and Prince Paul. <laughs> That'd be cool. That, yeah, would cool. that would be crazy. You write the narrative, Prince Paul does the production because he's another master of the concept yeah. album. He is, um, he is. But no, you're special, you know, on behalf of, of myself and Summit, You know, thank you so much. And looking forward to seeing you in the UK real soon. Absolutely, man. We'll be there soon. Respect to Master Ace for pulling up to the show. And like I said, we've wanted to speak to him for a long time. And as a fan, he definitely did not disappoint. I wanna send a special shout out to one of our new listeners. He goes by the name of Desmond Powell. He discovered the pod um, from our Reasonable Doubt series and he's been tuned in ever since. He's been on the socials, he's been sharing, he's been sending messages and he, you know, he says he's really enjoying the show. And I just wanna say thank you to Desmond. Um, we really appreciate you for, for, for tuning in. Um, Desmond is just one of the, the many new listeners who are much younger and use this pod as a as a resource tool. So with that said, if you're intrigued by Master Ace and you want to learn more about his story, check out his discography. I personally think that his best solo album is Disposable Arts. Summit loves A Long Hot Summer, but don't sleep on the Slaughterhouse albums and Sitting on Chrome either. You can buy all these albums, merch, and even a bottle of CMOS at Ace's official website, which is www.masterace.com. As always, we are on the socials. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BreakTheAtoms. You can find me at IAmKinetic with a K at the end, and you can find Summit at Hip Hop Chronicle. We'll be back next week with more hip hop culture related goodness, and until then, peace.